Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. What's up, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of Straight Up Sabres, presented by the Hockey Podcast Network and the Charging Buffalo. As always, I'm Brendan. And I'm Taylor. And Taylor, we are very excited to be joined by a first-time guest on the pod. You all know him from Twitter as at JFreshHockey. We recently now know him as Jack. We are very excited to welcome JFreshHockey slash Jack to the pod. Jack, welcome. How are you today? I'm doing okay. How's it going, fellas? Going pretty well. Yeah, we're really, really happy to have you on. Um, Both Taylor and myself have really enjoyed following your work as many Sabres fans, many hockey fans in general do. Um, And so we wanted to just kind of get in before we get into some Sabres talk, get to know you a little bit more. So one of the things that we actually had noticed that's kind of interesting is that it says on your Twitter that you had joined Twitter in 2019, uh, in October of 2019. And in that time have amassed a a pretty significant following. You're you're nearing 60,000 followers right now. You're at 57.8 thousand followers at the current moment. Give us a little bit about your background here. Like how did you get into hockey analytics, hockey in general for that matter, and kind of walk us through just the process of how you know you've kind of had this rise over these past few years yeah so i mean i've been a hockey fan for ages like ever since i was a little kid obviously uh but the analytics stuff came way way later like just in the past couple of years or so like you said you know my twitter joined in uh like fall 2019 but i didn't actually start posting on it until around february of 2020 so it was right before the pandemic hit wow uh i was finishing up a, a master's degree i was doing a lot of like software learning programs and things like that uh just for like purely professional reasons and all the sample data in it was super super boring like it was like supermarket inventories and stuff like that so i figured the only way to make myself actually learn how to use any of it would be if i switched all the data to hockey data and then one thing kind of led to another where i was you know making these visualizations about hockey stats and sharing them with friends and they suggested I post them online and you know it got a little bit of attention right off the bat you know that first trade deadline in in February you know there were people sharing the stuff but it wasn't that crazy and then really it was kind of the pandemic where all of the proper hockey writers all went on vacation and I graduated into a job field that wasn't hiring anybody especially in my field which would have involved uh, a lot of traveling so I had a lot of free time on my hands I had this kind of pile of stuff that I had built and I just started writing, started kind of making more visualizations and things like that. And it all kind of snowballed from there. So it's, it's crazy that it's been, you know, just over two years now that I've been doing it, but uh, yeah, 
it's obviously been a lot more than I ever would have expected it to be. That is incredibly cool to hear. And one of the things that you had mentioned there that I kind of want to transition to now is, you know, the actual analyzing the, the data that you are using, because in your bio, you have making hockey analytics make sense and look pretty, of course. And, you know, we talk about analytics quite a bit on the podcast, not a ton as compared to some of our other counterparts in the, the Buffalo hockey podcast sphere. But, you know, a big thing for us is just making it palatable so that for people who maybe don't fully understand analytics or in the early phases of it, it's digestible for them. And so with that being said, we're curious and for everybody listening to what are some of the figures, some of the data, the measurables that you look at that best evaluate both skaters and goalies? Yeah, well, I mean, that's that's always been my my whole thing is the palatability, because like I probably got similar math grades in high school as most hockey fans did, uh, which is not not that great. <laughs> uh, so it's all about kind of communicating it and, and making it so that it makes sense, because otherwise, there's just a bunch of numbers and abbreviations and stuff and, and nobody is really learning anything. And, you know, honestly, it has been enjoyable for me kind of learning all this stuff and, and learning new things and, and maybe getting new insights into the data as I've gone. Uh, you know, obviously there's, there's ranges, you know, there's tiers of kind of types of stats that you can use. Almost anything you use, you'll be able to get some kind of insights out of. It's just a matter of kind of being able to bring it all together uh, and form as accurate a picture as possible. You know, there are kind of, there are stats that you can use to get insights into what might be causing, you know, unsustainably high or unsustainably low results. You know, I always tell people that, you know, if I could have everybody in hockey just understand one stat, it would be shooting percentage, just on ice shooting percentage, you know, the, the, the how a team shoots with a certain player on the ice shoots, you know, because there's so much involved in things like point totals that people just haven't really wrapped their heads around uh, that causes, I think, insanely unrealistic expectations. People either turn on players unfairly. Same thing for goalies. Uh, you know, I think goals saved above expected has become a, a really kind of commonly ex ex a commonly accepted stat among a lot of hockey fans recently, but there are still people who I see will use things like wins and goals against average and things like that, which, which really don't tell the whole story. You know, it really is about kind of, you know, any stat that you use for hockey is, is recognizing that there's just so much going on and you're just trying as hard and, and filter out everything that could mess up the results. So in the goalie's case, you really want to make sure that you're not giving goalie a credit for what his team defense did. Um, and, and, you know, these stats, a lot of them sound really complicated. You know, they're, they sounds like a lot of abbreviations or fancy math and stuff going on. But in almost every case, it's all pretty intuitive like again as somebody who's like not a trans statistician at all uh you know they do make sense when you just break them down in, in pure hockey terms like if you're if your goalie is facing easier shots he's going to have a higher save percentage if your goalie is facing more difficult shots his save percentage is going to be lower you know that's all that goal saved above expected is it's just that when you see it as kind of four numbers that you've never seen together before suddenly it becomes this kind of super complicated thing well, one of the things too that Taylor and I were talking about before we started recording, you know, and especially with relation to to you and you know, just again like your rise and and how prominent of a voice you've become online in terms of talking about hockey analytics is just in general, not only the I guess introduction to them, but the overall acceptance of analytics has I think been evolving pretty pretty rapidly over the past like ten years or so. 
And, you know, we reference like goals that saved above expected quite a bit. Um, expected goals for percentage as you're talking about like shooting percentage with like, you know, your five on five numbers and everything like that. I I'm curious though, you know, working as close to this as you do, where do you feel like the next step is going to be or the next, I guess, wave of evolution in terms of analytics and their integration into, you know, professional hockey? Well, I think what has been happening for the past couple of years is that very smart people have just been running up against the limits of what we can do with what we have. Uh, you know, the stats that are used for analytics that you see in the public sphere, for the most part, are ones that are kind of, you know, the, the numbers themselves are released by the NHL, you know, they're called like the play-by-play -play numbers. And so, you know, that's stuff like who was on the ice, when did the shot happen, what were the coordinates on, you know, on the ice that the shot took place eight nine years or so people have been essentially just trying to take those numbers and get as much meaning out of them as possible and even in the past couple of years you know people are still improving how they how they deal with those numbers and, and get the most out of them um, but it really is kind of increasing marginally with the same data that they had 10 years ago or so so the next step ideally would be some of this fancy tracking data that the NHL is collecting and, and distributing to its teams. You know, I, I've talked to people who are close to the situation who have made it seem to me like it's not something that's going to happen anytime soon. But if that kind of data was made available to public sphere statisticians and things like that, then that would be like a huge leap forward. Like that would represent a really dramatic shift in what we'd be able to have. So from my perspective, since, you know, like my, uh, colleague Patrick, who is kind of my partner in this, he's like the data scientist who crunches the numbers and things like that. You know, he has the war model. He's got like the prospects model. Like he's he's kind of put together all this stuff. And it's like he, you know, will uh, absorb the new data and, and make changes to, to improve the models year over year. But he's not really able at this point to do anything that's super, super revolutionary with it just because of the limits in the data that are available. And so from my perspective, I've been making an effort to kind of engage more directly with kind of manually tracked stats, you know, the stuff that kind of doesn't get tracked by the NHL, the stuff that really can only be, you know, gotten by somebody who is watching piles and piles of games and carefully tracking everything that happens. Uh, and, you know, Corey Schneider, who's uh, shut down line on Twitter has been doing that as kind of a project for several years. You know, he does like hundreds of games every year. Uh, you end up with these really intricate and detailed player stats. And I think from my perspective, at least as trying to be an analyst and someone who's kind of trying to tell stories about players or teams, that's kind of the next frontier for me is, is being able to more carefully integrate that kind of stuff. Uh, but again, it really is. And, and, you know, this goes for any kind of writing about hockey or covering hockey. It's all just about being as resourceful as possible. Like there are resources out there they're not complete, they're not perfect, but you can bring them together and make something interesting and something new that hasn't been done before. Uh, and I still think that's true. Very interesting. Yeah, okay, so uh, before we get to the savers, I uh, just uh, wanna hear a quick word from our sponsors at DraftKings. Uh, so our listeners will be probably happy to know we have a new ad for the first time in about six weeks. <laughs> um, two titles are up for grabs on the stacked UFC 273 fight card. Join the action with DraftKings Sportsbook, the official sports betting partner of the UFC. 
New customers can bet just $5 on any fighter and get $100 in free bets, win or lose, guaranteed. If Sportsbook isn't available in your state yet, you can still get in on the excitement. Everyone can play for a share of millions in prizes with DraftKings Daily Fantasy MMA contests. Draft your lineup of fighters while staying under the salary cap and rack up points for strikes, takedowns, and more. DraftKings is safe, secure, and reliable. Best of all, you can deposit and withdraw your cash whenever you want. So download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now. Use promo code THPN for the Hockey Podcast Network. Throw down five dollars on UFC 273 and get $100 in free bets no matter what. That's code THPN this Saturday at DraftKings Sportsbook, the official sports betting partner of UFC. Must be 21 or older. Restrictions apply. See our show notes for details. Before we get back to our interview with Jack, I just wanted to uh, pop in here real quick and talk about Devin Levi, who it, it now is being reported is going to go back to Northeastern for a year. Uh, disappointing. I would yeah. say the least. Is that yeah. what you think as well? Yeah, I mean, it's disappointing, but it's not the end of the world. Like, you still have his rights after next year, so it's not like he could, he's walking himself to being a free agent. Um, and from what we've heard from him over the past week, really, it seems like he does want to start his career in Buffalo. Like, he hasn't really been ambiguous about it. Like, he's been pretty direct in saying that, as I'm pretty sure is going as far as saying he can't wait to start his career here. And in a recent interview, too, I, I, he was on uh, Dwayne and John Collins' podcast, uh, Two Goalies, One Mike, and I was listening to that. And just hearing him talk a bit about just how badly he wanted to go back because he didn't get to compete for, like, the Bean Pot and compete for a national championship this year. And then, of course, it came out today, um, Wednesday being while we're recording this, that in conversations with Kevin Adams, he had said something along the lines of he really wants to go back and be the guy. You know, like last year was his first year really being a starter in college, and he wants the pressure to go back and have that weight on his shoulders. And that undeniably is not a bad thing for him. However, on the other side of that, the guy dominated college hockey last year to the point that what more could you really want to get out of it other than winning a national championship? And also, is it realistic to think that Northeastern actually can win a national championship? Now, no. obviously, <laughs> right. In the eyes of somebody who is a competitor, of course, they want to be able to do that and think that they can do that. So, like, I totally get that. But to me, I guess the thing that that's, that, that's what I just keep going back to is what more could you really have gotten out of this? You know, like, you carried that team. You dragged them there. You almost got them through to the next round, too. It was because of a... a stupid gaff that was just a, a one in a million kind of play that he ended up you know the, their season ended up ending but you know you had the dominance there you had the experience with going into the olympics and getting to spend some time with owen power getting to spend some time around professionals and be in that kind of a locker room with veterans who have been in the league for a while and learning from them it, it just felt like that this was the natural progression that like it was going to be time to take the next step but Again, it's not the sky is falling. Like it, It's okay that he's going back for a year. He wasn't going to play for the Sabres next year. Obviously, it would have been great for him to be able to get the full season in Rochester next year, but this just pushes that timeline back a year. However, as a segue, that leads us, though, to the question about Eric Portillo and Ryan Johnson. But do you have any other thoughts on Levi yeah, before I, we get to that? Yeah, when you say uh, it pushes the timeline back a year, that's that's basically it. It's it's not a time to panic, but it is a waste of a year right. for him and the Sabres. Right. From a development perspective, no, he, he might have his own personal reasons why he wants to stay there, and you, know, you have to respect that. But for a development perspective, this is not good for him or the Sabres. This no. is a waste because we've, we brought this up in a previous episode in the past – 22 or 23 seasons in the 
NCAA, there are three guys who have had a season like this, and that's Ryan Miller, Connor Hellebuck, and Jimmy Howard. Guys who Jimmy Howard had a, a good long career, and the other two were Vesna winners. Like, this isn't a season where you have to get better in college. Like, you did everything you could at that level. Finishing with a 950 on a not-great team over the course of a season at the NCAA level means that you are done with that level. You've completed it. Good job. Now you need to go to the AHL and uh, prove that you can uh, be that good. Or not that good, but be good at the AHL level and then, you know, come to the NHL, obviously. Doing this again, to me, is the equivalent of if Connor McDavid... It's almost like if Connor McDavid went back to Erie. It's not to that level, but it's like, yeah, he really just wanted to prove that he could win at Erie, you know? It's 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 not quite that level, but it's closer than you think from, from just looking at their positions. Like like I said, he's on a short list. Connor McDavid is also on a short list, like for those uh for his position. Like he maybe he's number one and Levi's number three or four, but like it's a similar thing. So I think that's just kind of a waste. But yeah, so Today, when you're listening to this, both Ryan Johnson and Portillo and Owen Power, actually, mm-hmm. will all be playing in the semifinals of the NCAA tournament. Good chance we have to hear from some of them soon. At the very least, by Saturday, they'll all be done. So Yeah, yeah. And it's a foregone conclusion. We know Power is going to sign at the conclusion of uh, the Frozen Four. It remains to be seen with Johnson and Portillo, though. And I think now, and I'm curious your thoughts too, Taylor, with... Levi going back for a year, I think that it becomes even more important now for the Sabres to lock up Eric Portillo. As far as Ryan Johnson goes, I think that he's probably ready to take the next step too. I mean, he definitely took a step this year with Minnesota um, from his freshman year now, and I think that the time's now, you know, get him into the system. You invested a first-round pick on this guy, and so let's see what he has to do. Challenge him at the next level. He's not going to, you know, maybe he gets a couple games up at the end of this year, but He's going to be spending next year being really the guy on the blue line in Rochester. Probably him and Oscar Laxanen, but Johnson to a far greater extent given his draft position. Um, but yeah, and, and you hope that it's going to be Eric Portillo next year because you're going to have, you, you, that's really all you have right now for your goaltending pipeline in terms of um, prospects. You know, UPL is going to be on the Sabres next year, undeniably. If that dude is not on the Sabres next year, it's because he's got traded. There's no scenario where he can start the year in Rochester. He, he, he just has to. Like, he has to be on the team next year. He's ready. Um, something I also want to talk about, not now, but in coming episodes, is, is Seth Appert, as I think his name is kind of coming into the hot seat a little bit more and how he's running the show down there. But yeah, you need to have Portillo. I want Portillo starting in Rochester now next year. And, you know, th- then get Levi there at the end of his season next year and, and really let these guys battle it out. Portillo's not going to be ready for the NHL. <coughs> He's not going to be ready for the NHL after one season in, in Rochester next year. So I would love for them to have them both locked up by this time next year, competing in Rochester, and let the best man take it. Yeah, and just to, if anyone is worried about Levi potentially doing what Cal Peterson did. I'd have to lay out real quick, though, that he'd have to do all these things. After already going back next year for what is probably an unnecessary year, he'd have to turn down what I'm sure the Sabres will be offering him whatever they can next offseason, unless he has, you know, both his legs fall off. He'd have to turn all that down, go back for yet another season, and then, after that season, not be eligible for free agency on July 1st, have to wait till August 15th to be a free agent and sign somewhere else, so the Sabres would not be not be able to sign him from March, whenever his season ends, or April, if it's a good season, 
all the way until August 15th, when most teams have, you know, their plans in place already. And then since he's a goalie, he's probably going to have to go to the AHL for at least a year. Mm-hmm. And then in all likelihood, probably wouldn't be in the NHL until at least October 2025 at the earliest, but more likely sometime in 2026. And then would not be eligible to be a UFA, I think, until he'd be 27 Jesus. years old. I got to say, that is, it, it could happen, anything could happen, but that he is literally, he's already giving up money going back for this year. He is giving up well into the millions of dollars. And to be clear right. here, he's not giving up his rookie amount, whatever whatever ELC he'd sign. He's giving up money on the back end. Yep. He still has to have his ELC yep. regardless. So whatever he'd be getting paid at the end of his career, he's giving up one of those years, basically. Yeah, I mean, it, it, and there's no way. And I think also what works to the Sabres' advantage is because of the fact that this has happened with Cal Peterson. They will, I'm sure, be hypervigilant about it. And if they even get an inkling that he's not going to want to sign after next season, just trade him in the offseason. Yeah. I mean, if, if, if you know sense. that he's not going to, then just get rid of him then because there's no sense in keeping him. Yeah. But we're not to that point yet. No, 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 no. no. He's yeah. going to sign. I'm, I'm very, after hearing him talk, and I, I know it's talk and everything and it's just interviews and whatnot, but after the reports that have come out and what, you know, reading about his conversation with Kevin Adams and just hearing him himself talk, I'm very confident that he'll be here this time next year. He'll, he'll sign. Anyway, let's get back to our uh, interview with uh, Jay Fresh. Okay, so just want to move on to the uh, the Sabres real quick. And I just kind of wanted to throw a couple things at you and see if uh, you, I guess, are in agreement or if you if you have some disagreement about my my read on the numbers. So I did, I did a little bit of a deep dive, and this is basically the Sabres numbers for the entire season. So... The looking looking at what you see, I looking at expected goals and, and things like that, what I see is overall a team that hasn't generated good chances, has scored a little bit more than you would think they would have scored based on that because of, frankly, they've been a little lucky on the power play. They've been good at denying other teams' chances, but for part of the year, the goaltending was so horrific that didn't matter. And for the rest of the year with Anderson Tokarski, the goaltending, frankly, has been still below average to bad. Uh, I, I think in terms of goalies that have 15 starts, Anderson's 42nd of 63 in goal saved above average, and Tokarski is 50. And then on top of that, they have a pretty normal penalty kill, and they've been kind of average luck on the penalty kill. Um, so do you think the past month or so where the Sabres have won more games has been, there's been any actual decent change to any of that, and there's been some improvements? Or do you think this has been kind of just a nice, like, just fortunate run for them. Well, I think it can be a little bit of both. Like it reminds me a bit of what we saw from the Senators last year when they had like a nice little run after they, you know, they bottomed out right off the bat and then they started to play a little better after that. You know, uh, there have been players who I think have performed a lot better than they had in the first half. And and that's encouraging. I mean, Rasmus Dahlien is the obvious example. You know, he really, really struggled in that first half trying to do a little bit too much. And he, he, he was, for sure from from when I watched the Sabres and then in the past half of the season he has obviously kind of you know blown up and and played way way better and and just extremely confidently with the puck um you know I I wouldn't say overall that the Sabres are really blowing me away I I mean obviously from this season uh you know you're you're not wrong about about your assessment of their numbers I mean that that's definitely the case um but I think that there has definitely been a lot of encouraging signs in the past little bit, just in terms of kind of pure 
ups, you know, you're trying to build confidence for a group like this. Right. And, and this is the way that you do it. And, you know, adding guys like Alex Tuck, for example, uh, who's obviously made an immediate difference. And I think has really kind of brought this team together. You know, I, I floated it out there that I thought he seemed like somebody who could be, you know, named team captain over the off season. And, and that might be kind of a good move to make. Oh yeah. Uh, and, you know, like you said, the goaltending has, has obviously been a mess for, for most of the season. Uh, their scoring chance creation has, has obviously ranked very, very low at, at five on five. Hopefully as some of the young guys develop a little bit more that, and, and Alex Tuck gets more timing. Cause that's something that he's always been really good at driving uh, that can come together. But, you know, realistically, I don't think anybody expected that much from the Sabres this year. And it's all really about building to the future. And, and it honestly might be a little better to have them kind of being encouraged to do this thing a little bit more patiently than they did last time and, and kind of try to build out the team, give some of these young players chances, don't panic and make big free agency decisions or anything and take a look at the upsides because I think there definitely have been some specific upsides on that roster this season that they can try to build towards. Yeah. You know, you bring up a a good point there with like Darlene specifically, for example, one of the things that we've really talked about at length with him is, you know, with him turning it on the way that he has really since the all-star break, I mean, it's been a noticeable up, like he's been noticeably better. And I think in large part, a reason why he was kind of at the point where he was at, where people were getting very, very close to wanting to press the panic button or even pressing it for that matter was because of the impact of Ralph Kruger last year, asking him to quite frankly, just be a defenseman and play a style that what makes him special is not really suited for. So in analyzing him, I mean, it's undeniable, like I said, how effective he's been since the all-star break. I mean, there's been multiple games where he has just completely taken over and just dominates for them from the back end. And, and really his, his improved play is in all facets of the game, you know, in his own zone, he's looking stronger. He's using his body more and being more physical. His play in the neutral zone has been better and his ability to carry the puck up ice. Um, and then in the offensive zone, I mean, he's, he's just looking far more aggressive, far more creative and, <clears throat> really showing a lot of glimpses of what made him so special coming out of Forlunda. So I, what I'm curious about for you, and I, I don't know how like closely you really knew with, with Kruger and his system and everything and what he was really asking of Darlene, but do you feel as though a lot of what his turnaround can maybe be attributed to is him unlearning a lot of the negative traits um, that Ralph Kruger was really trying to instill into him and trying to turn him into a player that he wasn't like, it just took him, you know, that first call it 60% of the season to kind of get his footing underneath him and get a little bit more confident and acclimated in what Don Granado is now asking him to do, which seems to be far and away, way more conducive to his strengths. People who I trust in, you know, who are Sabres fans or or cover the Sabres, you know, they had a lot of very specific, you know, systematic critiques of of what he was doing and, and especially kind of you know, I think they would observe that there would be the whatever he wanted to, and those would be the stretches where he would succeed relative to, you know, the parts of the season when he was clearly kind of falling into line and, and maybe not playing with the same confidence that he was. You know, and I mean, his, his underlying numbers last year were really not, they were not that bad. But the thing for me with Darlene is that you really want, you know, he's kind of a skill set defenseman like he really is kind of he's not someone who you need to really dig deep to figure out what he brings to the table you know he's not like a Devon Taves style or anything like that 
you know, it's all right in front of you. Like it's the way that he carries the puck. It's the way that he passes it. Uh, and, and you can kind of try to build the optimal environment for him to do what he's doing. And Sabres had done previously. I'm not 100% convinced what is going on now. I mean, you know, I, I don't think that Yoke Harju is going to be his ideal partner moving forward. Like, I think a lot of what he's done in the second half has been more in spite of his defensive pairing than because of it. Um, you know, and, and, and if you want to make the Quinn Hughes comparison even more, like, you do kind of want to get him a Chris Tanev that he can play next to and, and who can maybe allow him to wander and, and do what he's going to do with the knowledge that someone's going to be able to get back and, and cover for him. Because, I mean, in the games that I've watched of him recently, and I've, I've watched uh, a fair few just because he has kind of blown up so much, and, you know, the Sabres have been a fun team to watch, you know, there is no doubt that Dolly on the ice does mean quite a few counterattack chances where he's caught up ice. And, and that's the same for Quinn Hughes. It's the same for plenty of defensemen who play the way that, that Darlene plays. So you just need to make sure that you have an environment around him where he is able to do the things that we know that he has the talent to do uh, without it, you know, costing his team the other way uh, or forcing him to maybe dial down what makes him a special player. Yeah. That's, I, Going back to something uh, else you said a little bit earlier about them being more patient with the rebuild, it is kind of, you know, the time of year where Sabres fans usually look ahead to next year. And this year's no different, even with, you know, how fun the last month has been. They're far out of the playoff spot. So Brendan and I have been looking to next year a lot. And there's an interesting where between guys from Rochester who should almost certainly be up, guys who are coming back, probable RFAs they resign, and then the uh, their apparent interest in resigning Vinny Henestrosa this offseason or maybe mutual interest in those two uh did the sabers have at least 13 forwards already starting the year so the obvious the obvious thing to do then is to look at who's a potential trade candidate and two guys who seem to like to make the most sense victor olafson and casey middlestat uh are playing really well uh they're have both having their best month of the season olafson didn't score from halloween till valentine's day i want to say and then since he got off that uh, that bad streak. He's scored almost half a goal a game, and Middlestat had been injured for months. He'd either been injured or just coming back from injury, basically from the, the opening night until about three weeks ago. And both of them have been playing better these past couple weeks than they had all year, which on one hand is good if you're trying to trade one of them. But do you have any thought on if you were the Sabres, would you try to retain both of these guys, or would you – uh, want to get rid of either of them. And then just as another thing Brendan mentioned before the podcast, Olofsson, his numbers um, without Rasmus Asplund in his own zone are atrocious. Red all the way down to the bottom <laughs> of the chart. Um, and with Asplund, there, he has a safety net where that is no longer the case. So do you have any, I guess, any thoughts on what you would do with either of those two guys? Yeah, you know, I think Middlestat, I think it probably makes sense to keep him around just because his you know, he, his, his numbers aren't amazing, but they're fine and he's locked up and he doesn't make that much money. And, you know, maybe there's name value enough that, you know, if he keeps playing the way he's playing, then maybe you can move him somewhere down the line, but I don't think it's super urgent. You know, all of a sudden, on the other hand, I don't know what his value would look like at this point. He's a pending RFA, right? So, right. yeah. Yeah. And, and I mean, you're right. Like he's, he's a, a very poor defensive player. He is one of those, he's kind of in that, you know, Mike Hoffman type 
offensive player where, you know, he wants to take those shots from super far away from the, from the net. You know, he likes kind of being on the perimeter and trying to set up for one-timers and things like that. Uh, and what that means is that the Sabres overall get much less dangerous chances of five on five when he's on the ice, you know, consistently for the past couple of years. And that only works if you're scoring the goals to, to cover for it. You know, you see guys like Patrick Laine, for example, they play a similar style of game, but it's fine because they're scoring. She's kind of a bit of a power play merch in terms of his finishing. You know, I, that's the kind of player for me where if you can find a team that is really looking for goal scoring, you know, at, at all costs, and, and you know, that's, that's something that teams are interested in, then I, I think that he's the guy that you would move. The question just becomes, obviously, you know, is there a team that's going to be interested in him with that qualifying offer? What's the value going to be? What can you get back? Um, and, and is it worth taking an underwhelming return for him? just so that you can kind of clear that roster spot, which I don't think is totally out of the question. Yeah, it, it's interesting with Olofsson because, as Taylor has said before, a lot of him just being able to keep his head above water comes down to Asplund being with him out there in his own zone. However, I think what's tough is that guys with, a, with the shooting ability that he has are not as common when they're as good as Victor Olofsson is at, at shooting. Um, and... It's tough because I think that there's definitely a lot of value when it comes to having a guy like that on your roster, just because of the current makeup of the savers. Like they really don't have in terms of their forward corps, any like true snipers like that. And I think that those guys are definitely valuable, but at the same time, it kind of feels like, well, if you could sell him to somebody as, Hey, this is a guy that, I mean, I'm pretty sure spread out to a full season, he would still be on a 20 goal pace this year um, or at least close to it. But either way, um, you know, if you could sell him to somebody on that and saying, you know, like you said, somebody who needs scoring help or whatever, maybe a team that's more of a contender. And then you can get somebody who's maybe, I don't know, a little younger and less proven, I guess, in, in return. Um, that definitely intrigues me because one of the guys that's going to be coming up next year that I feel like can fill the void of Olafson while still probably having better defensive numbers is Jack Quinn, who the Sabres had taken in the first round. Obviously, that was a very, very very highly contested pick, especially here in Buffalo um, with, of course, you had Marco Rossi and Cole Perfetti still on the board at that point. But Quinn has been an absolute revelation this past year and his, his, the steps that he's taken and his growth has been undeniable. And Sabres fans at this point are really just chomping at the bit. Um, and so I'm curious, I guess, what your, your familiarity is and what your, your thoughts are on some of these younger players that the Sabres have coming up, because there's a really good young nucleus that's not even on the team yet between Jack Quinn, J.J. Paterka, and then, of course, Owen Power, who will be suiting up for the Sabres pretty much at the conclusion of the Frozen Four, as I believe Darren Dreger had reported uh, within the past couple of days that he's going to sign his ELC right away. Um, so can you just give your thoughts on that, on that young nucleus that's really not even on the team yet? Yeah, I'm not, uh, you know, I'm not a huge prospect guy, so I can't go too in depth into, you know, what I've seen from these players or, or what to expect from them. But just from a general standpoint, you know, I, I think it's fair to say that the Sabres in the past have had a bit of a tendency to rush players in the NHL and keep them there when it seemed like they weren't 100% ready. Uh, and so in this case, I, I think, like I said before, you know, it's about patience and making sure that you're only bringing people into the NHL when they have gotten all that they can learn from the other levels. You know, in the case of Jack Quinn, if he's tearing up the AHL and, and I've seen, you know, uh, lots of stats that would suggest that he's been, you know, arguably the best young player in the AHL this year. 
you know, if, if he's kind of hit his ceiling in terms of what he can get from that league, then I think it makes sense to give him a shot next year. Um, but also to kind of let him go down sometime next year, if he's not looking hundred percent comfortable at the NHL level from Owen powers perspective, I think we've seen enough of him playing against, you know, adults and, and guys who are older and bigger than him to, well, I guess there aren't very many guys who are bigger than him, uh, or at least guys who are older than him, uh, to be confident that, you know, he probably belongs in the NHL at this point. And it's just going to be about, you know, kind of like with Darlene, making sure that he's in an, an environment that's conducive to his development. Yeah, I mean, with Owen Power, you want to make sure that he's in an environment where he's able to play his game, where he's not being forced to over-focus on skills that are not going to be that important to him. For example, the number of Red Wings fans who are complaining about the amount of extra stuff that Sider had to do because he was playing with Danny DeKaiser for a good chunk of the season. You know, I, I think the Sabres have enough decent youngish defensemen that they don't need to do that you know they can bring back mark physic for example you yeah. know they have fitzgerald and, and bryson and these guys you know i don't think they need to panic and make a kind of giant trade for a top four defenseman or anything uh it's just a matter of making sure that he's not playing with you know a total scrub where he has to do absolutely all the work and where his minutes are getting dictated by who he's playing with rather than what's best for his development sounds like rasmus Dahlin and zach bogosian <laughs> yeah. yeah unfortunately yeah, I mean, that's also how Ristolainen started. He played with a total scrub, and then he was a total scrub that other guys played with. So that's, the circle of life. Yeah, real circle of life stuff there. Uh, so someone else I wanted to, to ask about is the kind of the revelation of the season for the Sabres has been Tage Thompson. Uh, before the season, I wasn't really interested in him at all coming back, even though he was under contract. He, I think basically every year before this, with the exception of maybe a mini stretch when Granado took over last year, never looked like an NHL player despite his draft pedigree and how he looked at the AHL level. And now he might score 35 goals this year. So I'm not really under the impression that he's going to score 35 goals every year going forward. But I, I do think there is some, he's obviously better than he was last year. So I guess what I'm wondering is where do we think he comes down eventually? Like, is he, when he's, you know, on a better team, maybe with a little bit less time and a little bit less power play time, is he a consistent 20 goal guy? And his obviously other thing, his shooting percentage will come down a little bit. Is he like a reliable 20 something goal guy? Because at that point, he's way more than you thought you were getting a couple of years ago. Or, or what, what do you think he could be? More accurately, why yeah, is he I mean, that you know, it, it feels, <laughs> yeah. I mean, the thing is that it feels impossible to really make any prediction about him just because any prediction you would have made about him a couple months ago would have been totally wrong. Uh, I, I, I mean, the thing with Thompson, and, and it's something that my friend Jack pointed out, is that, you know, I think last season with the Sabres, based on the stats that I've, that I've seen him, forward role like he was one of the league leaders in terms of his uh you know his individual expected goals per 60 which means he was basically getting a whole bunch of chances that were right in front of the net you know which i, I would mostly be i'm assuming jam plays and rebounds and things like that and and that he was playing essentially kind of a traditional power forward he's been playing i can go a lot more of kind of a skill type of game like he's been in the middle of the ice he's been carrying the puck he hasn't been the guy who's retrieving it uh, and he's been able to take shots from the high slot. And, and that is an idea that a player or that he's even necessarily going to be, you know, kind of the first line center who really carries the line in terms of play driving. 
where it really comes down to for me is how reliable that shot is going to be. Because if he can keep scoring, you know, from a purely skilled shot perspective, like he has this season, where he's kind of creating his own chances from the highest slot and actually scoring on them, then that is going to be super, super valuable. Uh, the question will just come down to, and I guess we'll find out next year, how reliable that shot is going to turn out to be, because it really is kind of the banner for him. Interesting. So keeping in line with the forwards too, some of the younger forwards, another another one who definitely hasn't taken the steps that Tage has, but we've seen grow a bit throughout this year is Dylan Cousins. So with him, I mean, it, he brings a lot to the table for this team. And I think one of the things that's really jumped out this year is the progression of his two-way game. Um, and seemingly he feels like he's going to be the kind of guy that'll be your shutdown top six center someday where you can give him the tough matchups. And because of how responsible he is in his own zone, because of his size, because of his skating ability. And also he's obviously, you know, he's, he's offensively inclined as well, but he, it just feels like he's the kind of guy that's going to bring a lot to the table for this team. And when it comes to his overall development could play a, a very make or break role because while Tage was a bit of a late bloomer, Cousins obviously being a top 10 pick has had pretty, he's been pretty highly regarded, you know, throughout his time as a prospect and now being into a pro, uh, now being a pro. So I'm, I'm curious for, you know, where you see him projecting out at, like, is he going to be like a legit bona fide, solid second line center, like shutdown center, you know, obviously not to jump to like comparisons because I think Sean Couturier in a way has been in a league of his own, but like a guy like that, where the offense is there for you, but you just, every time that this guy's out on the ice, he's taking the hard matchups and he's succeeding in those matchups. Or do you think that he settles in as just a really solid, maybe middle six center who has some position flexibility? That's a good question. Uh, and it's probably, I mean, you know, I guess he would have said the same thing about Thompson. It, it would probably be a little unrealistic to expect him to be kind of a full number one star center on a contender. Right. Um, you know, like you said, the, the two-way numbers are, they're better this year. Uh, defensively, they're not blow you away yet, but I mean, he's still 21 years old, so there is room for them to improve. You know, he's certainly producing a lot more this season, which is encouraging. Uh, he's been shooting better as well. His, his assist rates are, are pretty solid. You know, I, I think what I would want to see from him to be confident that he's going to turn out to be kind of a, a number two defensive forward would be just for that for those defensive impacts to kind of keep on growing because they were really, really poor last year. They're pretty good this year, especially considering kind of such a dramatic change of role in his age. Um, so I would just kind of want him to take the next step and, and see if he can do this because – like you alluded to, there's there's a lot of maybes in the Buffalo Sabres system, especially down the middle, you know, with, with Jack Quinn, with Thompson, with Cousins, you know, there really isn't that home run down the middle that you can, you know, like there's no Quinton Byfield there, for example, that you can just slot in as the number one center uh, going forward uh, under the assumption that that's going to happen. So I, I would want to see him take a, a pretty serious leap next year. And, and I think he's got the the skill to do it and he's a young player as well. So uh, that will settle a lot of things because if, if Thompson turns out to be a solid number two center and Cousins turns out to be a decent second number two center, maybe Jack Quinn turns out to be a decent number two center, you know, then maybe you start to have, have to figure out some kind of team building things to, to sort out that, that hole in the lineup. But, you know, for now, I think it's just a matter of, like you said, just continuing to elevate his role, make sure that he's getting opportunities to, to develop and, and play with some pretty decent players. Uh, and it seems like, that is the the vision that the organization has for him. 
And one last guy I want to ask you about before turning it back over to Taylor here is you had talked about one of the, the key pieces of the Jack Eichel trade and Alex Tuck, but I actually am curious for your thoughts on Peyton Krebs. So Krebs, I mean, this is his first real extended look in the NHL and you could see him getting more and more acclimated to the game. I think one of the things that really stands out with him, especially that makes him such a special talent and gives, you know, hot Sabres fans, especially a lot of hope about him is his skating ability and his vision too. It just seems like there's a lot of times that, you know, not to make comparisons to a, to a former Sabre, but his vision and his ability to make passes in tight windows reminds me a lot of Sam Reinhardt, except he's a better skater than Sam Reinhardt. Obviously Sam Reinhardt has completely blown up this year and is playing at above a point per game pace for the highest scoring team in the NHL. And, you know, it would be lofty to make that kind of a comparison, of course, but Krebs is somebody that has been highly regarded, you know, since he came out and he was drafted. Um, and I think that his stock has really just continued to rise. And I think there's a lot to like about his game on top of, you know, what I had mentioned there. So, you know, he's another one where he's got that position flexibility where I think the Sabres maybe traded for him with the thoughts of him being a center, but you can't have, I mean, you can, but, you know, having four second or third line centers on the team at some point, something's going to have to give there. So where does a guy like Peyton Krebs, you know, project in your mind? Like what's, what's the best case scenario for, for Peyton Krebs in terms of his development and the player that he ends up becoming in the NHL? Yeah. So, you know, on this one, I, I do have to defer to, uh, my, my colleague at Elite Prospects, Mitch Brown, who has been writing about him for a while and, and wrote a big piece about him when the trade happened or just about around the time the trade happened, where he, I think, said that it was reasonable to expect that he would turn into a top six center, but maybe without the kind of high-end offensive skill of some of the other players around the league who who maybe had somewhat similar pedigree. I, I mean, you know, I, I will say this season – you know, looking at his underlying numbers, his his impacts on both ends rank near the bottom of the league. Right. To tell you the to tell you the no, truth, of course, like, of course. I'm look I'm looking at his card right now. It's like one first percentile even strength offense, third percentile even strength defense. So there's there's improvements to be made. His you know his his production has been pretty good. His finishing has been good. You know, I I, I don't remember Mitch saying that his shot was a real highlight, but at least in this case, it seems to be what has uh, what has stood out so far. Um, but yeah, yeah. I mean, like I said, you know, Krebs is just another example of, you know, there are a lot of kind of lottery tickets that the Buffalo Sabres have in their forward group. And, you know, they, they really just kind of have to give each of them the opportunity to, to prove that they can be a proper top six player and, and, and develop there. And from the sounds of it, that seems like what they're willing to do. And uh, again, you know, you, you really kind of want to build this group together because if you look at how they did things last time where they just tried to patch in holes with expensive free agents uh, or big trades where they were moving kind of these young players that they had drafted and developed, I, I think that there's good signs in this run that they've had recently that, you know, this is kind of an organization and a group that can be brought together in a good way of, of these kids who have come up together and who have been playing in a system together for a while and may be able to get some positive momentum to the extent that potentially, you know, by the time the tectonic plates in the Atlantic division shift a little bit, that they might be able to a couple of years, but that I think just gives them a little bit of extra time to play with. And I think Sabres fans at this point, as tough as it is, are probably willing to be patient with them if it means having a nicer outcome this time than last time. Yeah, so 
I think uh, transitioning away from the Sabres, I want to look at the uh, the league as a whole. And I was wondering a little bit what your thoughts on some of the award races were. I think this is some of the more interesting, close races I've seen in a while. I think there's not very, there's very few clear cut who's gonna who's gonna actually win these. And frankly, that it probably at this point not the Rocket Richard, but the Art Ross even I guess too. But looking at um, just a couple of the the high profile races. Start with the Vesna because I would have said a month ago it was wrapped up, but now I'm not sure. Who, what is your take on? I guess the obvious ones are Shesterkin and Anderson. Do you have a take on one of those two, or is there a third person uh, that might be a dark horse? Yeah, I think I think Shesterkin is is the guy right now, uh, and then there's a gap for me, and then you start getting into anderson and sarosh and, and other players you know and and this is i guess a good example of where you have to be a little bit resourceful when you're uh talking about or when you're using uh publicly available stats you know we talked about the, the data that's made uh, available one of the things you sometimes have to deal with is that the data that's made available is not always accurate uh and in this case uh you know in anderson's case this is just one example where uh there's clearly something weird going on with how the Carolina Hurricanes home scorekeeper is tracking where the shots are coming from uh, in Hurricanes games, where if you look at kind of the splits of where shots are coming from home versus away, they are way overrating how hard the chances that Anderson is facing are. So if you look at, you know, goal saved above expected models for the Hurricanes specifically, like they'll have Anderson right up there with Shesterkin. Uh, but if you look at kind of the more private companies that track their own shot data, it's not even close. Like it's, you know, it's like a 10 goal difference. So that's wow. one situation where, yeah, where I'm willing to say, okay, something screwy is going on here. It's, it's just certain, you know, the, 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 the hurricanes are not like the worst defensive team in the league at home. And then the best one in the league when they're on the road, that just doesn't make that sense. Was, that was actually something I was thinking wow. when I was looking at that, because there was not too long ago, it seemed like Shesterkin had a, um, a real sizable lead, even in goal saved above average and save percentage. I know the Rangers aren't a particularly strong defensive team, but the Hurricanes have been for a while. And that's by both the eye test, regular stats, advanced stats, whatever. So I thought it was kind of weird that Anderson is so high in goal saved above average. Just because if you go year over year, the guys who get over 30 for the most part are either good goalies on a bad team or Tim Thomas. <laughs> so like no one else really, really gets that high. So yeah, that's, I'm glad I asked them. That's that's very interesting. Is that something that the league would have to like step in on, Jack? Do you know? Well, yeah. So the league has their own ways of kind of uh, monitoring how accurate shot tracking is, and they'll run, from what I understand, pretty similar tests to what, like what I run to to see if something is going up, uh, and then they'll get in contact or something, or they'll say, "Hey, we just audited these, and you know, we think that you're doing something wrong." That's my understanding. That's not based on anything that anyone's told me directly. Um, and, you know, this has been an issue in the past with certain teams, and there are models that try to adjust for it. Like the one that I use, for example, is adjusted for, you know, poor shot tracking. Um, but the thing is, you can't really do it during the season. Like you have to kind of do it after the season is over. So, what is going to happen is, you know, once the season's done, we're going to rerun the model. It'll do the arena adjustment and then it will put Anderson where he's supposed to be. Um, but yeah, hopefully what happens is in the next couple of years, some of that tracking data that they're using, like the stuff with the jerseys and the chips and the pucks, even if they don't make all the fancy data available to us, hopefully they can at least automate 
the shot tracking so that it's accurate because it is definitely way better than it used to be but occasionally you do end up with you know a, a, a shot tracker who's not using his ipad properly or something like that so yeah that's well that's interesting definitely so the next one i wanted to, to ask you about is the norris which there's been a lot of talk about this as well for various reasons um norris isn't always i guess the best defenseman if a defenseman has a good enough uh, point producing season they just they seem to get a lot of let's say undue credit maybe for their defensive skills or sometimes vice versa weirdly um which is what happened with i think eric carlson a couple times after he won it for the first time uh but just getting to this year cal mccarr is someone that could score 30 goals and roman yossi could get 100 points and then there's also mainstay on the bell of victor hedman has bounced back uh, after kind of a not great year last year so the Athletic did a thing on this, like asking different GM. I think it was GMs and coaches what their battle would be, and it was kind of all over the place. Those were the three most popular choices, but there were guys who said Charlie McAvoy. There were guys who didn't have any of those three on their ballot. Uh, is there? Do you think you have kind of a standard answer, or have you made up your mind yet about who you think should win the Norris? Yeah, I don't have a vote yet, so uh, it's it's all just kind of fan fan casting for me. Um, I would still have. Makar, uh, and I'd probably have Hedman there next to him. Um, the thing with Yossi, and I, I, it's hopefully there's some kind of certainty about it or something, you know, hopefully something in the stats comes up and helps me out in the next 20 games or, or whatever it is. Because I mean, the underlying numbers for Yossi, I mean, they're, they're excellent, but they're not, they're not there compared to everybody else. Like, I think everybody else who's seriously on the ballot has had very strong defensive impacts this season. You know, I mean, Makar has has been underrated defensively for a while. I think people just kind of, in the same way that they did with Adam Fox last year, I think they just kind of typecast him as an all offensive player. Uh, even though I think he's a he's a real kind of resourceful defensive player. You know, he's not huge, but he uses his skating and his stick really well. Um, whereas Yossi, I think, is way more of kind of a wanderer. Like he he really does kind of make life a little difficult for his partner sometimes, uh, and. You know the Predators, I think, have have sheltered him a little bit this season, specifically because of that. Uh, you know, Hedman, like you said, has had a huge bounce back season. You know, he's been fully healthy and he's been playing like it. Like he has really been dragging the the uh, Lightning's blue line the entire season. You know, Aaron Ekblad has has been really good as well. Uh, you know, I, I saw a little bit of Adam Fox hype in that article that you were alluding to. Uh, I don't really see it this year. I think he's kind of struggled. He's played kind of the first not amazing hockey of his career in the second half here. So he's not something, someone that I'd be really looking at. Um, but yeah, I, I mean, that's really, you know, and Charlie McAvoy is kind of always in the conversation as well. Uh, Jacob Slavin, I haven't heard any hype around Jacob Slavin at all this year. Um, and he's somebody that I'd be looking at a lot, especially considering, you know, like I said, there's some, some, I, I don't know if I can swear some tr some trickery going on with the you can uh, swear. Let her with, with, with the hurricanes defensive numbers this year and his defensive numbers are still quite good despite that, which makes me believe that they would probably be even better uh, if there weren't fuckery going on. So there it is. <laughs> yeah. And, and then poor Heiskanen, like I was already to hype Heiskanen and then he had to go and get mono. So I yeah. guess he's out of the mix, but yeah, I mean, it's like every, any award this year, like it really seems like every single award has like, 10 different people who you could make a decent argument will be involved, which I guess is it's good for me as somebody who gets paid by the article, but uh, yeah. Um, good now, segue then. 
to I'm assuming heart next. Well, I was going to say, cause I had even thought about this one just real quick. Is there, is that also hold true for the, the Selkie? I, I haven't thought too much about the Selkie this year. Hmm. Selkie, I think is pretty cut and dry. Like it's, it's, it's Spurs run. He's been ridiculous. Like, again, it's kind of, it's, it's not, it's nice when you have like the guy who everyone just assumes always deserves an award to actually deserve it. Like I feel kind of the same way about Hedman this year, where after everybody got mad last year about all the stats guys, not having Hedman on their ballots, like this year, Hedman does deserve to be on the Norris ballot. Uh, in this case, Bergeron has just been on another planet this year defensively. And then after that, you can get, you can get creative. Like you can talk about Anthony Sorelli or, Ryan O'Reilly, or, I mean, if you really want to get people angry, you could say Austin Matthews. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, you know, th- there's, there's the conversation for the Selkie starts at number two, I think. Uh, so that's, that's interesting. I think Bergeron is probably the guy that throughout the years, traditional stats, advanced stats, eye tests, old media, young people agreed on the most, probably. There really hasn't been any really anti-Bergeron or Mm-mm. anything like that from really anyone. Um, but yeah, so I guess that does bring us to the heart trophy. I think regardless of where people come down on it, I do think it'll be a very close vote. Uh, and I, it, it is a really interesting question as well, but where do you come down on that? Are you, after this Austin Matthews stretch, are you uh, leaning towards him for your, what, what would it be your choice if you did have a vote? Yeah, I think leaning is the right word. Like it really is tight for me in terms of the people who are being discussed uh you know the ones that i'm not sold on are like i i i don't see huberto uh as as much as like i know he had the huge night last night um people are all super hyped about him i i really don't see huberto as the guy Uh, i think he's had an amazing season but everything that people say about his his defense not being very good and him kind of getting the soft matchups while barkov has to deal with the really tough situations. I think all of that is true. Uh, and, you know, as someone who's had the pleasure of cutting quite a few of his games in the past little while, because he keeps putting up points, you know, it, it is very evident. Like you can in the league and for the worst, because, you know, if you play off the rush that much, you're inviting just so much counterattacking and, and odd man rushes the other way. Other than that, I mean, Matthews, you know, his, his, his numbers are impeccable. He is, you know, on pace for over 60 goals uh, with very strong defensive numbers and, and all this, you know, I, I think it would be kind of hard to not have him at least in the top two. Shesterkin obviously has slipped. And I think he maybe in the past couple games has probably cost himself what might've been an actually fairly straightforward heart trophy win, but there is time for him even if he plays at like an average level the rest of the season, his numbers will still be totally ridiculous. And he will still be the reason that the Rangers made the playoffs, let alone kind of at the seat that they did. So, you know, and, and again, like I alluded to, like he is at least statistically probably the best goal in the league by a large factor, you know, even with the way that he's been playing recently. So we'll see what happens there. Yossi kind of like I alluded to, I'm not super crazy about Johnny Gaudreau has been totally ridiculous, but it is a little difficult with him because his line as a whole has been so good. Like it really has been kind of a, all three guys on that line are playing a really important role and it's kind of hard to fully extract that out. Uh, uh, who am I? Oh, and then McDavid, obviously. I mean, McDavid has had a 
just insanely good season and and people are kind of glancing over it a little bit i think unfairly uh you know even kind of the defensive numbers have been pretty good like they've been just about average which is where they were last year the only difference for him is that he hasn't been scoring as much as he has sometimes in the past uh and he has unfortunately played with some guys who just can't finish the chances that he's giving them like you know Paul Yarvey love the guy but he cannot put a puck in the net properly unless like Connor McDavid like holds his stick for him like a timbit and you know pushes them in there so yeah I think that pretty much you know I, I guess that the general thesis there would be like you can make a good case for anybody and and like I said I'm gonna be almost definitely like writing an article where I do make the case for everybody very interesting. One guy, uh, did you have anything else on the heart? I actually have a question kind of in this similar mold. So not, not necessarily an award question, but I think something that's kind of like a running joke with a lot of hockey fans on Twitter is the, the conversation about the most underrated player players in the league. And by the joke, I mean that there are still people out there who are like, I think that Barkov is or Anze Kopitar, like, which is just a a completely ridiculous thing because these guys are like legit superstars. And I think, you know, just because it's not Crosby or Ovechkin or McDavid, people are like, oh, well, they're underrated. And that's just kind of nonsense to me. But what I'm, I'm wondering from you is in your findings, I mean, who stands out to you? Is there a couple of guys that really jump out that are maybe the most underappreciated in the league for what they bring to the table for their team? And, you know, that could be either somebody who's been under the radar for the past couple of years or somebody who's really stood out this year that's maybe not getting the love that they, they deserve. Yeah, so I, I mentioned one of these guys on Twitter a couple of days ago. Uh, one thing that I, you know, there's kind of two ways that I look at to see kind of up and coming players, because that is, you know, that is kind of the big thing. Like if you're like an analytics account, you do want to be knowing like who the next guy is so that you can get credit when he turns out to be really good. You know, like Devon Taves, like when he was with the Islanders, I was, you know, beating that drum super, super hard and ended up looking pretty good because of it. Um, I'd say so. <laughs> yeah. Uh, you know, so, so one guy that I'm, you know, did a, a video of a couple of days ago, and was talking about is Robert Thomas on the St. Louis Blues. He's kind of having a breakout year now. Like he's, I think, point per game. Although this season, it seems like half the players in the league are a point per game. So, you know, I don't know how much hype he's really getting from that. But just in terms of kind of pure playmaking, like there's there's a lot of holes in this game. He's not amazing defensively. He's He has a really not great shot. But just from a pure passing perspective, like I don't, you know, there might be nobody in the league who is more dangerous behind the net like just kind of getting pucks into the slot than he is. And that is, you know, obviously there's a lot of really amazing playmakers in the NHL, but like, like he, you know, his efficiency, like the, the primary assist that he's doling out, you know, on kind of a per 60 basis is almost unmatched right now. Like it really is only kind of Johnny Gaudreau who's even close, you know, you look at the way that, you know, Tarasenko has blown up this year and like kind of bounced back and everybody is, so surprised about Tarasenko after all those trade rumors. So much of that is that he's been playing with Robert Thomas, who's been able to hit him up with just perfect passes, uh, which he didn't have in the past. Um, so Thomas is a big one. I mean, Jordan Cairo is another guy. You know, I mean, similar, obviously, he's with the Blues as well, just going under the radar. They weren't playing him that much. Uh, but, you know, just an incredibly talented player. Just the, the speed, the passing, the shot is all there. Uh, and he's starting to, I think, finally get a little bit more attention, fortunately. Um, one guy who I'm kind of 
curious about uh, who hasn't really been on anyone's radar, but I wonder what's going to happen with him is Sonny Milano in Anaheim. Uh, who's his underlying results have been pretty good for a couple of years. He's playing like a fourth line or a third line role there, but it really is kind of his passing numbers. Uh, again, using those kind of micro stats that I talked about before, uh, like the high danger numbers are all pretty much off the charts. Like he really is kind of setting his teammates up for these excellent opportunities in a pretty limited role. He's, you know, he's 25 years old. He's played for a couple teams now. Who knows if he's going to turn out to be any kind of big name star player, even a guy that you want to draft high in fantasy, but there's something under the hood there that I'm kind of curious about. So if he breaks out next year, then uh, you can give me credit for it. All right. Perfect. We'll have you back on to talk about it then. Perfect. All right. Uh, Anything else? Not really. Yeah. So so we normally end the episode by just all saying uh, the name of a random former saber. Uh, Would you like to join us on that? Sure. We can go first if you want to take a second to think about who uh, who you're. We call it our random former Sabres player of the episode. Who do you got, Taylor? Who is your random former Sabres player of the episode today? Uh, I'm going to go with Shane Morrison. Shane Morrison. Wow. I, I will go with a teammate of his, Mr. Andre Mazaros. Jack, who do you got for yours? I was thinking of Nathan Page for some reason. Wow, here we go. All right. That's a good one. That is a very good one. Very, very nice. All right, Jack, so before we sign off, tell the people where they could find you online, where they could find your work, and give us an update on what you have coming up. Uh, Yeah, so you can find me on Twitter at JFreshHockey. You can uh, subscribe to my Patreon, get all the fancy stats visualizations, patreon.com slash JFreshHockey. I write for Elite Prospects uh which is also under the same name obviously uh and that pretty much covers the ways that you can uh read or hear about what i'm doing very nice well thank you so much for joining us we very very much appreciate it jack again make sure you're following him on twitter at jfreshhockey this has been another episode of straight up savers presented by the hockey podcast network and the charging buffalo make sure you're checking out both of the presenters of this podcast on their respective websites whatever streaming platform you're currently using to listen to make sure you're checking out all of our fellow podcasts on both of the networks and following them on social media also make sure you're following us on social media at straight up savers on facebook twitter and instagram and of course make sure you are heading to DraftKings and you using our promo code THPN to take advantage of great deals for whatever you're going to be betting on in the next week. Once again, we will be back with a brand new episode on Monday. Thanks again to Jay Fresh for joining us. This has been Straight Up Sabres.